in just a few moments, after we go for the foot washing and then we come back in here to partake of the juice and the bread, I will recite the words of Jesus that we find in the book of Corinthians, do this in remembrance of me. And if you've been around church or the church culture much at all, you've probably heard this phrase dozens, hundreds, maybe even thousands of times. But what does it mean to remember? What does it mean to remember? Is it simply suggesting that we not let the acts of Jesus, the, the gifts of Jesus, the, the love of Jesus leave our mind and our thoughts? Is this just a call to remember, a call to, to contemplate the suffering of Jesus? And for some, that may make them feel grateful, and for others, maybe it makes them feel some guilt. What does this mean to remember? I believe that remembering is more than just an ambiguous mental activity. There is, there is something more to it. We've been working our way through the book of Exodus, and this is the last week that we'll be uh, in the book of Exodus. Next week, we're beginning a new sermon series in the book of Revelation on the seven Beatitudes from the book of Revelation. We hope that you'll be here and that you'll bring a friend. But today, as we finish our sermon series from Exodus, I want to look at this word or mention this word, remember, for just a few moments this word appears seven times. The word remember appears seven times in the book of Exodus. Never in any of the instances in Exodus where there is a reference to remembering is it a call to just think about or, or appreciate or not forget about something. In every instance, in every instance, the reference to remembering is accompanied by some call to action or some action that takes place. Either God remembers and then he acts, he makes a decision to move in a certain way, or he calls his people to remember, he calls Moses to remember, and, and then calls them to act or to respond in a certain way, maybe to act in a way of doing something different than they normally would. Remembering in the book of Exodus is never just asking someone to remember an event or to think about an idea. It is always a call to think and then to act. As Pastor Dustin Crow wrote, in the Bible, a call to remember, especially when tied to a covenant sign or a ceremony, is a vibrant, powerful, and participatory concept where we recalibrate our lives according to what's being remembered. We recalibrate our lives. We, we take an action to, to be different according to that which we remember. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. What God is calling us here to do, I believe, is to remember his gift and then to calibrate, maybe for the first time or to recalibrate what is happening in our lives so that everything that we do is in according to the one whom we remember. If we jump back in the story to the beginning uh, of the book of Exodus, near the very beginning of our study in Exodus, 
You may remember that, that the first time Moses comes on uh, the screen, comes into the narrative as a grown man, the very first thing that we learn about, Mo- uh, the very first action that we see Moses commit is an action of murder. He kills a man. That's the first story. That's the first narrative of Moses as a grown man, him as a murderer. He sees something. He thinks it's unjust. He responds out of his own will, out of his own heart, out of his own emotion, and he kills another individual. Almost immediately, he has another emotion that comes up, and that emotion is is fear, maybe some regret. And so Moses tries to hide the evidence of this murder. He buries the man and tries to hide the evidence of the murder, hoping no one will know what he did. But then he realizes that he's going to get caught. People are talking about what he has done, and and Pharaoh discovers what he has done. and, And Moses has now, again, a level of fear, an emotion, and he responds to that level of emotion and and his response is based on what's happening in his own heart and what's going on in his own life and so he runs to the wilderness to escape never in this narrative in that section of scripture do we see any reference to to Moses obeying God never do we see any reference to to Moses pausing and and seeking God's will and and seeking his instruction His life was about what he saw and how he felt he should respond based on what he thought was best and based on what his will and his desire was. Even sometimes when he thought he was doing the right thing. The story then jumps ahead. 40 years, in fact, it goes ahead. And now Moses is a shepherd in the wilderness. And in chapter three, we read the miraculous story about Moses as he's shepherding his sheep, comes across a bush that is not burning and God calls out to him from that bush. But when God initially talks to Moses and God begins to instruct Moses, Moses doesn't want to do what God is instructing him to do. Moses doesn't want to follow God's plan. Moses doesn't want to follow God's direction. Moses doesn't want to trust God to to really be in charge and lead the way. Five times in chapters three and four, Moses resists and pushes back against God's commands. Six times God says to him, this is what you shall do. And five times Moses says, no, no, I don't think I'm going to do that. Pardon me, God. I'd like to recommend another plan, another idea. Finally, Moses relents, but we can sense that Moses is not relenting joyfully. These are the first two stories of Moses' life as an adult. He's a murderer. He tries to hide his, his sin. He gets scared. He runs away, and he hides out in the wilderness with no intention of ever going back to Egypt. He hears God speaking to him out of a bush that is not being consumed by fire, And yet even in this moment, he pushes back and he says, God, I don't don't want a part of this. And then the next story, well, now he's on his way to Egypt. Now, surely he has it together. But but if you remember the next story that comes up in the last part of chapter four, Moses and his family are on their way to Egypt. And on that journey, Moses almost dies. Why? The Bible tells us because he had ignored 
God's commands, God's direction in his life. There was something that, that he had put aside that he maybe thought wasn't important or wasn't uh, uh, needed anymore or no longer relevant to God. And, and so he had decided to ignore this request of God. And, and Moses' life hangs in the balance until Moses' wife steps in on his behalf and plays an intercessory role. And through her uh, spiritual recognition, through her leadership and obedience to God, Moses' life is spared. This is how the story of Moses begins. Responding to his emotions and killing a man. Responding to his emotions and and trying to hide his sin. Responding to his emotions and and running away. Responding to his emotions and, and telling God, no, I don't want to be a part of your plan in Egypt. Responding to what he thought was best and saying, you know what, I don't need to lead my family in this way. It's no longer relevant. That's the beginning of Moses' journey. But luckily, God is patient and, and Moses continues to journey with God. And Moses, over the next many years, observes a number of things. He saw God deliver the people of Israel out of Egypt through miraculous ways. He saw God bring them through the sea and to put them onto dry land. He saw God feed the children of Israel day after day after day through manna. He saw God give them water from rocks and, and all these things. These, as Moses remembers all these things, he begins to change. God met with Moses on the mountain. He delivered them from their enemies by just the raising of their hands, by the raising of his hands. God delivered the children of Israel. Time and time again, God is working on their behalf and Moses is observing all of this and remembering all that God has done. And then we come to the very end of the book of Exodus when God is giving all his instructions about the temple and the tabernacle and, 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 and directing Moses on how to do each little thing. And in chapters 39 and 40, in the book of Exodus, I read a phrase or, or, or an element of a phrase 18 different times. As I think I've commented on here before, when, when studying your Bible, one of the things I used to tell us in, in uh, theology, in our undergrad theology and also in the seminary, is it's good to look for repetition. If there's repetition, maybe pay attention to that. See what may be said in there. And 18 different times we, we read a phrase, and this phrase is, in some form or fashion, just as the Lord commanded. What is this speaking of? It's speaking of Moses. Chapter 40 and verse 16. Moses did everything just as the Lord commanded him. The Bible tells us in chapters 39 and 40, over and over again, The people did this, just as the Lord commanded. Moses did this, just as the Lord commanded. Moses did this, just as the Lord commanded. Moses did everything, the text says, just as the Lord commanded him. The story of Moses in his adult years begins with a man who resisted what the Lord commanded. Begins with a man who who did things according to his own will and as he thought was best. A man who responded to his emotions rather than stepping back and saying, God, what is your will? A man who thought certain commands of God were no longer relevant or no longer significant or certain teachings were no longer applied to him. 
That's how the story of Moses in his adult years begins. But the book of Exodus ends with Moses being a man that desired to do just as the Lord had commanded him. Somewhere in that journey, as he observed all that God had done for them, his life has begun to be recalibrated. No longer do we have the the arguing at the burning of the bush, but now Moses is responding, doing everything just as the Lord has commanded him. His life is now calibrated according to the one who called him and saved him. Moses is a great example. Moses is a great example of of someone who, as they recall and see the things, the leadings of God throughout history, their life is changed. Their life is, is transformed, and they begin to act and do things in a different way. But of course, Moses is simply a foreshadow, a a representative one of one who is perfect, who is to come, and that is Jesus. And we are told, as Raquel read in Philippians chapter 2, Jesus, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We can look at this story and we can say, man, it's amazing that Jesus left his, his divine form and, and the perfectness of heaven to come down to this earth and take on human form and, and walk amongst this, this ugly world and this sinful world. It's, it's so amazing that Jesus did that. But maybe even more amazing is that Jesus actually took on another aspect of humanity in that even though he is God, he responded to the God in heaven as if he wasn't God. That's what this says. Jesus, who was God, lived as if he was not God to show us what it means to have a life fully recalibrated by the will of God. Jesus said this of himself in John chapter 12 and verse 49. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. Jesus says my life is being totally directed by God. I'm coming down amongst you to show you what it means to to live a life fully calibrated, fully directed, fully under the influence of God. In another place, in John chapter 8, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. He's speaking to some of the, the Pharisees. You would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not, listen to this, I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Jesus described his his coming to this earth as an act of obedience. Everything he did, time and time again, symbolized one who had decided to allow their entire life to be directed by God. He was God himself. He could have said, you know what, I'm going to say this, I'm going to think this, I'm going to do this. But no, he always said, what is the Father in heaven will of me? He submitted to that. In those verses in Philippians chapter 2, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus, our perfect example, shows us what it's like to live a life according to the will of the Father. But verse 5 begins 
this way. Have this mind amongst yourselves. Have what mind? The mind that is willing to submit to God no matter what. That is willing to be humbled by God no matter what. Jesus was willing to to be obedient. The Bible describes it obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Moses grew from a man that did as he thought was best, that argued against God in his direction of Moses' life, to a man that did everything just as the Lord commanded. Jesus is God, and yet he lived his life on this earth as a man that was submitted to the will of the Father in heaven. And then Jesus comes to us and he says, do this in remembrance of me. And that doesn't mean take this juice and take this bread and wash the feet and only do that action and then move on with your life. No, to do this in remembrance of Jesus means to live as he lived. In other words, to be willing to allow our entire lives to be directed by the will of God in heaven. If we leave here and the only action that we've taken and the only thing that's happened in our, in our hearts is that we've drank some juice and we've eaten some bread and we've washed some feet and we've, and we've remembered what Jesus has done, then we've missed the power of remembering, the power to act, that God, the power that God gives us to act and to have lives calibrated by him. So today I want to ask you to pray this prayer in your heart as we participate in these elements of worship. When you wash feet and or when you drink the juice and eat the bread, pray and ask Jesus that your remembrance will be more than just recalling. Pray that Jesus will recalibrate your life, that he will recalibrate your truth, maybe some of the things that you no longer think are important or necessary. That he'll recalibrate your home, that he'll, he'll recalibrate your own heart. Ask him to help you remember and then to act that your lives may be lived according to and around the one that we remember today.